Hi everyone, my name is Essen and you are listening to the Brown Hershey Podcast. We're at episode 41 now and our guest today is Dure Aziz Amna. She is about to release her debut fiction novel, American Fever, and you can pre-order it now. I was lucky enough to get an early copy and let me tell you it's a great entertaining read. I can see a movie adaptation happening real soon. However, I first noticed her a while back from her non-fiction essays, which I'm a huge fan of. It's a great episode, no spoilers, don't worry. And also, before we begin, there's a website, brownhistorypodcast.com, and if you're enjoying Brown History, consider being a patron. Your help makes a really big difference, I promise. All right, I think we're ready to go. Let's begin. Okay, lovely. And how, how long are you planning for this? Usually maybe 40 minutes, 45 okay. minutes. Okay. It depends on how much you like to talk. okay okay sounds good okay okay well uh, first off i want to say congratulations to your uh, debut novel american fever and also congrats on making it on the list forbes 30 under 30 so that's a big deal too thank you thank you yeah this is your debut novel do you want to explain the story or can i try and you can make me maybe correct me if i'm wrong or add something if you want yeah 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 yeah. no i i'm I'm, i would be more than happy to have you explain it i feel like i'm gonna be explaining it enough (laughs) so uh it's a story about a pakistani teenage girl named hira who enrolls in um a student exchange program and ends up living with an american family for a year in not new york city not san francisco or any other cool city but a random small town in oregon Mm -hmm. it's a very funny entertaining book but it also kind of has this deep perspective on these two cultures and how to navigate between these two worlds. Uh, how's that? Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I always love to read um, books. Thanks to this podcast, I get the experience of talking to the author after reading the book. But I think this is one of those rare moments where I think I'm speaking to the main character of the novel. <laughs> because you also lived a year in Oregon too in a in a student exchange program so I, I bet you probably get this question a lot but how much of this is an autobiography yeah yeah no 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 it's 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 uh definitely I have to like steal myself because the book comes out in two weeks and I feel like I'm going to get this question a lot I already do and it's it's a very fair one obviously because um like a lot of debut novels this one leans heavily into my own biography and so as you said, I did the same exchange program. Um, this was 2008, 2009. So it's a slightly different timeline from the, the novel itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the initial setup um, of like a girl moving from Rawalpindi in Pakistan to um, rural Oregon, that is all um, very much taken from my life. But then the events that actually happened to her there and um, the people that she meets, especially like my my host, my fa- my relationship with my host family, the actual one, um, was far less complicated than than the one obviously presented in the novel. So mm-hmm. the people that she meets are all very different. So that's when like all the sort of fictionalization starts. So what was your what was your experience like in Oregon for you? And this was post 9-11. So you yeah, had that kind of ish to deal with. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um I the funny thing is because it was so remote. That uh-huh. I feel like perhaps I'm I'm sure uh, obviously 9/11 and especially people who lived here or uh, during the time uh, and like the the years immediately following it had to deal with it a lot more and perhaps even more so in like I feel like Oregon the place that I lived in was so remote that it it really didn't come up that much um, it was just such a 
And that's why it, it I, I chose to write about it because it was such a unique experience. Um, since then, I've, I've, I went back to Pakistan and then I came back here for college. And since then, I've lived in that like more what a lot of people from outside the U.S. think of the U.S. as like, you know, the New York and, and New Jersey and like those more cosmopolitan or more the, the places that make it to the news more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, but the, the experience there was just so, so different from that. How did you, again, okay, well, in the book, Hira's parents are kind of supportive, but also kind of scared and nervous. How does, yeah. how did your parents allow you, especially for a Pakistani girl in a conservative yeah, yeah, yeah. country, how did your parents allow you to go a year in this random town? Yeah, honestly, like I, the more I think about it now, I, it's, it's a mystery to me because <laughs> at the time, like you, you just sort of, as something happens and you go along with it and you don't think too much about it. A lot of this retrospection obviously happens um, retrospectively, um, but I don't, and there were so many other girls who went on the, there were like, my batch was, um, I was one of 60 people and I think it was almost 50, 50 between women and boy, uh, girls and boys. And so um I don't I don't like I think about it now and I'm like I don't know if I would let my kid do that yeah I mean I think you're a, a new mother now right yeah 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 would you let your child go off for a year I, I don't know it feels I I really think my parents were very brave I, and everyone's parents who let them do that were very brave in doing that because I can't imagine and especially again as I said like you're not going to you know like you're not going to a family friend's house you're not mm-hmm. going a place that your parents have been to or even know the name of I was placed in Oregon like that was the very first time I heard the word Oregon um so yeah it's it's a very it's a very brave decision and you're you're a girl which yeah you know, yeah yeah no and there was a level yeah no and there was obviously definitely like I remember my uh a few of my uncles and even my grandfather being like what why would you why would you send such a young girl away um but I think my parents, for them, it was very much uh, like this is, you know, this is going to be good for you. And that classic, like, oh, you sometimes have to do things that are hard for you so that you can like succeed in life and whatnot. True. Um, Speaking of your experiences in America, I'm going to read a line from your Instagram that you wrote about your experience. Um, so much of my understanding of class, how it transcends nations, belonging, how it's a myth and culture, how it's a farce stems from that one year I spent in the Pacific Northwest. Can you tell me more about like what you learned from that one year uh, in rela- in regards to the sentence, class, yeah, no, culture, I, belonging? Yeah, no, I said that's, you know, what's really funny is when I was, I was writing, I wrote that. And then I think, I don't know if we decided on this podcast later, and I was like, I really hope Essen brings that line up because I really want to. <laughs> so this is, this is perfect. Um, yeah, no. So I think there's a there's a scene in the book um, where Hira, the protagonist, is asked by like the church um, that she, her, her host mother attends that like, oh, can you put on a presentation for us about Islam or about Eid? And um, she initially hesitates, but then like the pastor really wants her to. So then she does it. And while she's doing it, she she has this like she she realizes how performative she sounds to herself, um, because a lot of the things that she's describing, like Chandrat and Eid and what you eat for Eid and mm-hmm. 
a lot of those things she realizes that like without the context of home they just become these like uh, props that you're setting up for someone else to exp- like understand your life right and right um these are not things that you were anchoring your identity to before you left home but now suddenly they've become the markers of home that's interesting uh, and so it's and like how much do you hold on to that and how much do you like i i mean i think this i think this is an experience that happens to a lot of people who move um that certain products almost or like like okay your personality becomes turmeric like what does that mean or your personality becomes chai or chai right. tea it's not chai tea and it's 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 all just um it's it's strange because those were not the things that you considered important to yourself or your sense of self before you left home but suddenly they become markers for your identity and so how do you how do you navigate that how much how much of it do you play into and how much of it do you refuse to play into um and the other thing about class is like the protagonist again is she she comes from like a privileged background in pakistan um and she's i mean she's she's not like rich but she's extremely comfortable and so she mm-hmm. moved from from that background to a very poor part of the country and again that sort of um is against a lot of immigrants expectations of the US where you think that's you know the land of riches and that's why like a lot of people move here for the opportunity but Hera actually has the experience of moving down the class ladder uh when she moves to her not necessarily her host family but the community around her is very poor Mm-hmm. um but what and so what but what does that mean right because a lot of the people that she sees around her still have um because of perhaps like the i don't know if it's because of the consumerist um culture of america you they like people still have phones that she couldn't imagine having back home the houses seem nicer because there are certain amenities available there but she still knows deep inside her that um she's she's in some ways she's still better off um than a lot of the people that she's around right uh what about religion i don't know if it's okay for me to ask you this but yeah, growing yeah, yeah. up growing up what sect uh of islam did you grow up with and was that a part of your identity or did it become more a part of your identity or was it something you let go when you went to america for a year because religion is one of the things that hira explores mm-hmm. and i wanted to know what you how you felt or was that very similar to your experiences Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. I um so we uh, I grew up Sunni uh, Muslim and uh, the most vanilla kind. But um the, <laughs> the um and it's weird because obviously when you when you grow up Sunni in a country like Pakistan you don't you just think you're like Muslim. You're the majority. Yeah, exactly. Sunni Sunni is the majority in Pakistan yeah. if anybody wants yeah. to know. Yeah, yeah, uh, very much so. And so uh, you don't really think of you know you're like you do that classic oh i'm just i'm just a muslim um uh-huh. uh something that because you don't have to explain yourself or even think about yourself um in that in that context um and but again because it's uh pakistan and under like that general like more south asian islam of the sufis and the saints and all of that so there was a lot of that influence in in my upbringing as well um and so when i mean i can i can talk about hira's experience um there are similarities obviously between hers and mine 
But when you move, when I, um, or when, when Hera moves to the U.S., um, there's, there's a sense in her that, again, because of that thing that I was talking about, culture and tradition and uh, particularly sort of, um, God, what's the word? There's, there's times when I just like forget the, it's okay. the something. Um, um, like when you do certain things. Um, Rituals. Ritual. Yes. Thank you very there much. You yes. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Rituals. Um, and so she, she more and more, she like doesn't understand the point of the rituals when they're divorced from the society around you. That is also like, for instance, um, I think a lot of people find fasting um, if you're, unless you're around family, a lot of people find fasting very sort of isolating. Um, True. Yeah. Unless you're with your family. Yeah. If you're, cause if then you don't have, because if it, like, I remember fasting in Pakistan, obviously you like everyone wakes up together, you hear the azan or you hear the siren go off, which means Kecha, like it's time to uh, stop eating now. Um, at, in the evening, there's like people come over for dinner, for the iftar and whatnot. And so when you suddenly try to fast all by yourself, um, there's the aspect of, yes, you're fasting for God, which obviously if you're extremely biased, that's the only thing that matters. But if you're not as biased, you do mm-hmm. need the support of a community around you or um, if people around you who are doing the same, or at least people around you who get the significance of what you're doing. Um, and so she struggles a lot with that because when she moves, there's Ramzan right after and um, she has to figure out like, okay, how much of this has any meaning to me now that everyone around me is, you know, uh, completely divorced from it. Yeah. And finds it strange. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, now that you have a, a, a child, how, how do you conclude in explaining the same rituals if you want to, to your child? Because, you know, I, my wife is pregnant five months now and I'm wondering like there are things Thank you. There are things that in like the, the religion and the culture where I don't think it makes any sense. And it's 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 kind of weird and strange. And do I just kind of pass this on and let him figure it out? Or do I just like explain to him, you know, it's very complicated. How yeah. have you have you concluded on how you would teach your child if you would? Yeah, no, I, uh, no, I think I definitely haven't concluded. It's uh, <laughs> I <feel> like <laughs> no conclusion. Uh, right. my, my first son, he, my first firstborn um, was, uh, he's two years old now. And uh, my daughter is just seven weeks. So um, no. I think that for a lot of people, I, I don't know. It's because the other day, I actually, my father was on the phone with me and he was like, so what are you going to do about Quran or what are mm. you going to do about um, uh, like, how are they going to learn how to pray? And again, these are, you know, these are things that came so naturally. And, and well, of course, just, that- just to clarify, you are, you're raising them in America. Yes. So you yeah. are the source of that window to Pakistan. Yeah. 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 So you have this kind of great responsibility as a as a mother as a pakistani mother and you are i guess yeah you're there you're their only source so it's kind of a lot of responsibility and weight on you yeah, yeah exactly and for, well also because um i my husband's portuguese american so there it's not as if you know you can rely on both spouses for that and um and but again because of people like anyone who's moved obviously knows that 
it's it it can be very complicated because your own relationship with those things can be complicated as well like i i was um the way i was taught the quran was through this um this quran teacher this guy sab who would come over and he was like he was sort of brutal he was <laughs> it's <he's still laughs> part of my nightmares because he would um and 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 my parents were very clear like it, i i almost admired the clarity they were like no the only way you can learn the quran is through getting hit or getting and it's like now i think about it and that's that's wild to me that you think that that's you know that's the way you should learn the holy book yeah, but yeah so so to the the point is that my own relationship with that is i'm still figuring out and um so how much of that like i was very to my father on the phone i said very clearly like i'm definitely not having someone else teach them because um that can i because i don't know i think with religion it's so much of it is extremely personal and yet you can get with the wrong influence you can just be so entirely misled that i i'm that's one of the things that i'm like super paranoid about yeah, um, yeah. but of course like i think obviously there can be a lot to be gained um by having that community or by having someone else teach you uh teach your your kids things that you either might not have access to you might not have the time to um you sure. might not be a very good teacher um so i think it's a uh, it's sort of a balance that everyone has to strike for themselves one of the weird things about learning to read the quran was that they they put so much emphasis on learning the quran in arabic oh yeah but not <laughs> enough to to explain to you the english meaning or the english yeah. translation like so i i read it and i have no idea what i read the whole time isn't that that's the weirdest part i found <laughs> yeah 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 no it's uh it's really wild and i again i remember having this conversation i because at some point the one the only good thing actually i shouldn't say that that's blasphemous but like the one of the <laughs> good things that came out of those quran lessons was that at some point um i think i had finished reading the quran as you said without understanding a single word of it twice and so um the qari sahab was like okay if you guys would you guys want to read the translation now and so um that was really cool because um two two like three of us started reading the quran with the urdu translation and um so that was the very first time that it was like the it was the arabic up top and then like in smaller script it was the urdu translation of every verse um so that that was that was really cool um but i remember us telling my father about that and i was like oh you know now i can actually just read it in translation so i don't need to read the arabic um and he was he was mortified he was like no 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 beta mm. uh, i think the the import of it was like you get the savab which is like the reward the good um, points only if you exactly yeah yeah you accrue you accrue loyalty points only if you um read it in arabic um which you know it's yeah, yeah. it's it's weird speaking of urdu uh one of the really cool things that here goes through is her she develops an appreciation of her language urdu and i wanted to know if you have the same i think i'm i'm pretty sure you have the same appreciation of urdu and i want to know where your appreciation comes from and people who kind of listening and take granted of of urdu and and don't really and just see it as like a as a way to speak to your parents what do you think they're missing out on on not really developing their urdu and really going back and reading the poetry and the stories and the novels and 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 the words that come from knowing your your urdu 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I think this this sort of ties in with this like larger. Um, there's a conversation in like publishing uh, about how you know we shouldn't italicize foreign words or we shouldn't uh, like writers should be allowed to put in like words from their own languages um, if they're if they're from a language that is not English. And I think I think that's that's all really cool, but I think that's like very much the tip of the iceberg because um, it doesn't matter if or these are strong words, but I, I I don't think it matters a lot if you know you know like a few random words here and there and you can like sort of like pop them into your writing to sort of like give it an authentic flavor or whatever you want to call it. Um, cool. If if you're not actually deeply engaging with that language or getting influences from that language into your writing? Like, are you reading, even if it's in translation, I know that at this point, there's a lot of people who who can't access the original. Um, so I think like the, the language matters, but also are you, are you reading other writers in that, in that language? Um, uh, and are you like, sort of taking the influence from the stories that they're telling from the folk tales of that language or that culture and it's it's mu- it's a much wider net than just just the basic you know having like food items mentioned in a mm-hmm. in a without translation or whatever um and i think that ironically some of that even for me happened once i moved here and perhaps that is also a common experience for people that you take a lot of these things for granted you don't realize that um like once you move a lot of these things, instead of just being sort of like the, again, I'm forgetting the word, but like, you know, that just the background of your life, it, it's going to be something that you're going to have to actively reach out for um, and like actively engage with. Otherwise there's going to be no one who, like, who does it for you. Right. Um, you know, when I was reading your book, I was thinking of all this, all the South Asian novels that take place in America and they're usually either a story about an immigrant coming into America or it's a story about a diaspora person living in America. But this novel kind of has this new perspective uh, that I didn't really, I don't think I've seen it before, where you're like a, a visitor, I guess, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, from a, and a young visitor. When you were writing the novel, did you know that you were going, this is like a perspective that really isn't explored much? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, that was one of the things that gave me comfort while writing it, because I think that, as you said, the, there's such and really uh, like a lot of really great literature from South Asia that is about either the diaspora or um, someone coming in as an immigrant. And so it felt very intimidating to sort of like stack my book with with that tradition and um one of the things that gave me comfort was that, okay, like Hira is in this unique position of being a visitor who has one foot here, one foot there, and she's very much planning on going back. So she's not, she's not moving there. On the other hand, I think um, the book also had a bit of a hard time selling, um, especially in the U S because of that very problem. I think (laughs) my Mm. favorite story is from the really terrible process of, um, submissions was this um editor who shall not be named who uh told me that you know it would be really it would be a much better story if you uh made her american wow. and 
and which is which is funny because that's really not the point um no, not at all well, <laughs> the whole story is about her move here but i think it's i think it that speaks to like the there was some confusion about okay where do we place this um story because it's not really it's not an immigrant story per se and it's but it's not about like a hyphenated american either um so where do we where do we place this story when you're when you're writing the story and there's a lot of um terms traditions and actions that are very south asian rooted and as a south asian i can understand what you're talking about but someone who's not south asian can get confused right so how do you decide how to explain how much you want to explain something you know yeah because i always wondered like you just write ramadan or do you write ramadan and then you explain a whole paragraph of what this is and how do you find that balance well first yeah i say ramzan which is the South Ramzan, Asian. yes, <laughs> right. You know what? I grew up in an Arabic. Uh... No, 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 no. I totally. I. It's actually. I don't. It's. I was uh, just that was a joke because I feel like that's such a weirdly hotly debated topic. Um, I know. Could, it, Ramadan, Ramzan. We'll we'll have an yeah. episode on this one day. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different episode. Um, but I. Um, no, I think I think that's a great question, and I think that a lot of uh, sometimes people have a knee jerk reaction of, oh, I'm not going to explain anything, but I don't think that's really fruitful either because um you you your audience hopefully is not just that like very like white american that you're not trying to like play into or you're trying to like show oh like i don't care what you think or i don't care how much you explain understand um your audience hopefully is people from a lot of other languages as well like if there's um someone you know in nigeria reading the book or it, in you know the indonesia reading the book um they might also not understand a lot of the references so uh, when you get like very very minute the, i feel like it, it's it's turtles all the way down like the a lot of the things that you grew up with perhaps no one really understands it except your very very close family perhaps there are rituals that only you and your family followed or only were particular to like for instance, I'm from um, the Potuhar region in in Pakistan, which is where like Islam, uh, not Islam as much, but Rawalpindi and like the uh, places south of it, that's where they fall. And so um, maybe there are certain things that we do, or maybe there's a certain dialect of Punjabi that's followed there that's actually very different from even the rest of the country, the rest of the region, whatever you want to call it. And so mm-hmm. I think, um, I don't know how to, going back to the question of like, how do you, how do you figure out how much to explain? I think, I don't know. It's honestly, it's, it's really um, tricky because I think with a lot of the words in here, I, I never offered an explanation, but there was a certain point where I, I wrote the word kabar khana, which means a junkyard. Um, and I, I wrote it and I didn't explain it in that moment but then I, I had this niggling feeling that, okay, that's a pretty, like, if you're writing in English, you, that is a very specific word to not explain. And so later on, like a few pages later, when that word is, it appears again, I just write in English, mm-hmm. junkyard. And so, um, do you ever go, you know what? They can just Google it. I don't <laughs> care. Moving on. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I, the Googling, I mean, it's weird because I know that a lot of people say that, right? Um, I never Google shit when I'm like reading and I find, I I think that a lot of the times 
you have to be okay, especially if you're going to read literature from a lot of different places around the world, you have to be okay with just not knowing things mm -hmm. and just kind of accepting that, okay, there are certain things that I might not be privy to and that's okay. Um, the, the author still very much because she's writing in English, she has decided that she wants to share the story with a pretty large audience. So like the doors are open. Um, I think I think the reader still has to feel that way. And that's both on the writer's part, but also more importantly on the reader's part. Um, there's a book. This is for you to read. Perhaps there are a few things that you don't understand in there. That's fine. I, I first noticed you from your nonfiction essays, which I'm a big fan of. Thank you. Is there a difference between writing nonfiction and fiction for you? Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. So I because I started writing when I was young, um, I started writing for like newspapers initially for those children's supplements that come with newspapers. Um, like once a week, there was a, a I think there was a magazine called Us in Pakistan that I would write a lot for. Um, and so my my training, if you want to call it that, has always been on the nonfiction side. Um, and so American Fever is actually my first fiction yeah. project that I ever, ever started, even like short stories wise. Like this is the very first thing that I decided, okay, this is going to be fiction. And you did a whole um, book. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, went into the deep end. Um, but I, um, it's, I don't know. I think part of me, I, I think nonfiction does come much more easily to me. And perhaps in the long term, that is what I'll, return more and more to um there's something very natural about writing a personal essay and it's it's weird because i think uh, for a lot of people uh, that is not the case because it's it's obviously it's such a vulnerable position to like just sort of open up your life to other people um somehow i'm okay with that especially because i think that a lot of the the fiction or non-fiction that i write i at least i try not to make it extremely it's not, I, I don't really believe in being extremely confessional, like, oh, this is the very worst thing that happened to me. And like, let me tell you all about it. I, I, I know that there's a huge value in that. And a lot of people do it and they do it really well. Yeah. I, for me, nonfiction is a way of, even when it's a personal essay for approaching a topic that is extremely relevant to a lot of other people. Um, so a lot of my nonfiction aims at least to be, like social and cultural and not necessarily political but like you know about about issues that i think are beyond just myself well this is the question i i don't know your family personally but um generally speaking the culture of pakistan is very conservative and people don't really uh open up or talk about what's going on in their lives or at least don't publicize it to the neighborhood because you know shame and whatever whatever do you find that growing up in a conservative culture like Pakistan has affected your writing in the sense that writing can also be about kind of confessing the things that are going in your life or dealing with the deep issues that are going with your life? Does it make you, I mean, for me personally, I find like it, it holds me back because writing is very, it's a naked process and makes you feel naked. And growing up in the culture of Pakistan, it feels like I'm doing something wrong. So I was wondering if you go through that too, or you've passed it or it never occurred to you. Yeah. I, the one thing that I think I, I try to be wary of is um, 
being too culturally deterministic. So thinking that, okay, I'm a certain way exclusively because I grew up in a culture that was supposedly this way, which I, and I, I'm, I'm completely with you. There's no, I don't think anyone in the right minds would call Pakistan anything but conservative. <laughs> um, so there's, there, there's no question that that is true. I, I think that the ways those things affect us though, are like more complicated than just to like A leads to B leads to C thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because on the one hand, yes, uh, there's perhaps like you obviously, you know, you don't advertise how you feel, but like, do you even do that in the U S I feel like I, I find a lot of spaces in the U S also very um, like, for instance, I currently I'm taking this, this I'm, I'm recording this podcast from my in-laws house and they live in suburban New Jersey. And I, I find American suburbs to be extremely private. Um, mm. I think that like, you know, there's you, everyone like kind of keeps to themselves. No one really like tells each other what's happening in their lives. Um, and on the on the other hand, I think in Pakistan, like I was talking to my brother yesterday about how even, for instance, like death in Pakistan, right? Like anytime there's a funeral, there's this, um, we call it like ban karna, which is like you wail and you like loudly mourn, mm-hmm. uh, which I've never, I think it would truly just like shock someone in the US if they yeah. heard that. that yeah sound and it's it's still even to me it's a very haunting sound and so in in some ways the the culture there is way more expressive um than here and but when it comes to i think when it comes to the influence on my writings i think um i there is maybe i mean i don't know i don't know again i don't want to be deterministic i think there's a certain like it might not be an only pakistani thing maybe it's like an like uh sort of like buttoned upness that I think mm-hmm. I keep in in my writing I, I I don't like to just like put it all out there um and I think that that is also because for me I, I the reader deserves certain parts of me I don't think that the reader deserves or no, it deserves a, maybe might be the wrong word but I don't think the reader needs all of me um right. so I think that I can choose very carefully what I put on paper. And the, the, the interesting thing is sometimes like, for instance, you, you've asked me a few questions or like, sometimes I get like with very smart readers, I get questions that it's like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you figured that out, you know? And so like, sometimes the reader is like able to figure out even more stuff than I, what I put on paper. But I think that it's always your decision. Um, how much how much of yourself you you like because it is exposure right 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 like you're you are exposing yourself for better for worse um and the hope is that like the the cost of that exposure is is worth it um is worth like having someone else relate to you having someone else figure something about themselves out that through your words um and i mean i think if, if done properly it's definitely worth it how is the writing culture in Pakistan as opposed to America? Because you're one of the few people who kind of experience both sides. So what's it like being a writer in in Pakistan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I unfortunately, I had a very, because I, I moved here when I was 18. And so I was still very much, um, it was, I actually, weirdly enough, had a, I, had a, I had a really, really good experience because I worked with these magazines that would, I remember, um, 
I wasn't expecting it because uh, if, if, I mean, if you know anything about writing in the US, especially right now, it's like frequently, especially for magazines, it's extremely underpaid, obviously, if you get paid at all. And so I remember writing my first article for the, the um, newspaper in Pakistan. And two weeks later, this check appears for me. And I think it was for, I don't even remember the amount, but to me, it just felt like I was suddenly, like I would never have to work in my life. It That's was funny. I mean, it <laughs> obviously did not last at all, but uh, <laughs> it, it was, I, I had a really, really good experience. Um, I don't know because of obviously the bifurcation and in fact, it's more than just a binary because obviously there's people writing in Urdu, in English, and then a lot of the regional languages. So I, I can't speak at all to what the experience of like writing and publishing in Urdu would be. Um, in English too, I think, unfortunately, there's, um, I've, I've heard from people who've tried to get published in Pakistan in like, like in, for instance, like English books. Um it's it's still pretty hard. And actually one of the reasons which might be also relevant too, because it's Brown history is that um, the, the sort of movement of books between India and Pakistan is very, the, I think the state of it is very bad because I think just, you know, the nature of things um, sometimes you're not allowed to uh, bring books in uh, from India. So if for instance, and given that India is, within South Asia, it's obviously the hub of publishing. So like HarperCollins and um, uh, Penguin Random House, all these these big publishing houses, their outposts in South Asia are always in India. Um, and so the biggest, if you want to get published with HarperCollins India, mm-hmm. as a, I think a lot of editors in India are actually very open to it. But then once you get your book published, your book's not available in Pakistan. Um, and oh. so it's, it's really so a lot of a lot of Pakistani writers actually prefer to get published in you know the UK or whatever because then at least your um you have access book, to it. Yeah, your your book can make it make its way out to Pakistan. Um That's so yeah, interesting. I think I think a lot of people find that to be very um it's it's a very hard market right now because of these issues. Um but I I mean I think that because at this point we've had, you know a lot of years of uh first rule by the british and then like just this general emphasis on english um for better or for worse um um but what that does mean is that now there's like a sizable uh population that obviously reads in english wants to read in english wants to write in english um so i there's a lot of very very exciting writers in pakistan i think there's um uh, there's just- recommendations yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, one of my really good friends, um, Sadia Khatri, um, she, she's, she's pretty active on Instagram as well. So people can look her up on social media. Um, she has a website as well. She's, she's really, really good. Um, I love her essays. Um, there's a writer called Amna Chaudhary who writes really well. Um, I, these are like the people that I'm thinking of, uh, the top of my head. Um, but there's, there's so many more. Um, and I think that especially because of social media now, there's, uh, people can like, there's so much more freedom in how much you can post and you don't need to, you know, publish a lot of times through there's actually a uh, given, uh, talking about more traditional, um, forms, the Alif review, um, in Pakistan, they publish a lot of English, like really good writing in English um yeah i'm thinking of i'm thinking what about of, what about the uh, older from the old guard the last era from the last era 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Writers from the older generation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I actually, what I, instead of just sort of like, you know, there's there's the names that everyone knows. Um, all right. Amila Shamsi, Mohsin Hamid, Muhammad Hanif. These are all the people that like were sort of, I mean, that still are very much right. And Mohsin Hamid, I think, just had a book out. Um, but I think instead of talking about those people, because anyone who does even like the, the smallest Google search in Pakistani writers in English would come across those people. I think I would True. encourage right. people to uh, look into translations by um Pakistani writers um and this is obviously if you're if you can if you can actually read in Urdu that that opens up an entire world to you but I feel like that might be a very very small percentage of your the people who listen to this podcast and so I think that for people who want to read Pakistani literature but cannot access it in Urdu there's really good translations now um a lot of the times they're actually done in India because obviously Urdu is a language obviously shared across borders. And so mm-hmm. um, I know that Manto's uh, uh, short stories are really well translated into um, English. I think the collection is called Mottled Dawn. Um, and um, there's translations of Ismat Juktai. There are translations of... Um, uh, Yusufi, I am forgetting his full name, but he I've read him in Urdu and he's he's really, really wonderful. And there's translations of his work in English as well. Very cool. Um, my last question. Yeah. My last question is where do you think Hira is gonna be in 20 years? That's that's a fantastic question. Uh that's really just it and you know what's really funny is that the book, I don't know if you noticed, but it's told from the perspective of an older. Hira? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and I I I had I went so I went back and forth so much on whether to reveal, or even I don't even know if I have it figured out, but um to like place her. So like should the reader know where she's writing from? Is she writing from, you know, a New Jersey suburb or is she writing from back home in Pakistan? Um I think it's I, I intentionally left it open-ended. Um because, I don't want to give spoilers away, but it, yeah, it is very open-ended. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I, I, so it is told from like, I mean, I guess it is maybe a spoiler, but the 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 older protagonist, the older narrator, is never placed. Um, so we never know where she's writing from and what her situation in life is. And I think I I wanted to have it that way, and I think that's why I like probably not give a clear answer to this because I want the reader to be able to because the book is so much about the ambiguity of like home and leaving home and returning home and whether you can ever return home and whatnot that I, I think giving a very clear answer to that sort of like takes away from the reader's imagination a bit. Yeah. And it's not black and white either. We don't get to see what, like, she doesn't really pick a side. Right. You know, they both kind of affect her and and she both kind of, she kind of becomes an outsider. I find, uh, for both countries, for Pakistan and uh, America. But so it's very curious to know what decisions she makes in the future. Does she still live in Pakistan? Does she move to America? I mean, I can only look at your life and make my own assumptions based on that. Right, but, right. But other than that, like, it's hard to, I mean, you could literally make a sequel, but <laughs> yeah, you, I guess you don't want to give uh, any clues or anything where you think yeah, she lives. No, or but at least where she right. lives. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, I think I think I'll, I'll let the reader figure All that right. out yeah. do you have any uh 
future projects in the in the works? Um, I'm working on it's in it's very very much in its infancies, but I'm I'm working on a second novel um, that's set in the 80s and early 90s in Pakistan, and it's about um, a, a broadcaster with uh, Pakistan Television, the the state TV, um, and she's a young she's a young woman who, and it's the story of her marriage. Um, so very 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 different. Um, it will not. She will not be coming to the to the U.S. She will not be coming to rural Oregon. <laughs> All right, that's okay. Um, yeah. this was great. Do you have anything you want to ah, add no. in or plug in? Thank you so much. I I really really. I mean, this is uh, this is a plug for S, and you're just you're no 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 no. Such, such there. Work and uh, honestly, like I'm I'm just so flattered with the questions. Oh, no, it was such asked. a it was such a great book. I really enjoyed it. It made me really. I thought it was going to be like uh you know something else but it was really (laughs) i really like i mean i really found it really interesting and it really made me think of these perspectives and things like that like you're right like right now as you just said like in the in a pakistani funeral they're so much more expressive than than americans and canadians so like i never really thought of that way and you're right like it's it's never really black and white so it really what it really made me rethink what what's going on i guess Oh, I'm so glad, and I feel like I feel like your page does that for uh, for a lot of people too. They, it, it, you know, it makes people rethink what South Asia is and what brown is, and um, so I'm I'm just very very honored to be here. No, uh, I can't wait to read your uh, next book, and I hope we can do this again for your uh, yeah. second book. Yeah, thank you so much, Jason. Thank you so much. Have a good week. All right, bye. bye.